Hello. You are my person. You will always be my person. I really want to find my person, like Christina Yang says in Grey's Anatomy, or a good crew, like in Friends. The one thing I feel that I am missing is strong platonic relationships and friendships. Welcome to How To. I'm Carvel Wallace. Have you ever stopped and asked yourself, hey, what happened to all my good friends? As we grow older, it's hard to meet new people and create actual relationships with them, ones that are deeper than surface-level acquaintances. Finding friends feels so easy as kids, or at least it does standing from where we are now. So why is it so awkward to form new connections as an adult? Well, this week's listener is wondering just that. My name is Katie. I work at a school in the west side of Chicago. Katie is one of the many young adults who were partway through college during the normal times. And then, you guessed it, the pandemic hit. At first, we thought we were getting an extra long spring break, which I really needed. I was feeling burned out. So the first couple, you know, weeks of the pandemic, I was really enjoying myself. I was reconnecting with my family. But then came the longer lockdowns and isolation, and the new reality was harder to stomach. Obviously, you didn't have the graduation. My sorority had some parties that obviously didn't happen, so I was disappointed about that. And I was just not really connecting with anybody because I am not the best long-distance texter. So Mm. it was just kind of like, oh, I guess that week before spring break was the last time I ever hung out with my college friends. And that's the end of that. Mm. Yeah. It's funny because I was just, my daughter is is moving to college literally tomorrow. And so yesterday we were like packing and going through all of her old stuff. And we found this letter that she wrote at the beginning of pandemic where she was, where she was talking about how lonely she was. And she was like, she was like, all I do is sit in my room. (laughs) Like, you know, and it just, it just really put me back in that state to hear her like remembering it. And so I'm wondering what your life did look like during that time. Did you spend a lot of time with your family? Did you try and meet friends? I remember there was like, people were meeting for like, let's go for a walk. My mom will say it's one of her favorite times to look back on. I did pick up (laughs) crochet and started my Etsy shop, so that was great. And um, I have a dog, and we would just take him for walks in the forest. As nice as it was camping out with her family, there wasn't a lot of contact with outside friends. I would definitely classify myself as an introvert, socially awkward Mm. type of person. I have one friend that does still live in the area, but... We've kind of drifted apart. We Mm. occasionally do things that we both enjoy, like kayaking or going line dancing, but I am not really her number one priority. She has other friends that she's closer to, and we don't have a lot to talk about anymore. It's a story that is just so familiar. Loneliness is real. Modern life can be isolating, and there are probably a lot of people in this boat. But don't fret. We've got a friend for you. 
Daniel Bayer Jackson is a podcaster, a public speaker, and a professional friendship coach. Yeah, that's a real thing. And she's been featured all over major media outlets. And she has spent a lot of time thinking about human connection. First of all, I feel for you, Katie, because this is definitely a, a story I've heard so many times, so many variations. And so um, so I understand Katie's maybe uh, frustration and curiosity about how to make this happen. Besides the obvious fact that we were all sequestered away from each other for so long, what do you think are some other ways that the pandemic took a toll on many of our relationships? I think a lot of people are social muscles atrophied a bit. We we mm. weren't out there maybe for two years. We're in the house trying to figure things out. So a lot of us feel a little rusty right now as we kind of come out of that. Our friendships dwindled away and some of our social networks did shrink a little bit, but I've had people report to me that they had stronger friendships because perhaps they became more focused and intentional on those they wanted to prioritize most because we had to be more discerning about who we were going to engage with. Okay, so we can't just blame the pandemic because the truth is it's hard finding and sustaining friendships even in the best of times. So in today's show, let's shake off the social rust. We're going to figure out how to find potential friends and figure out why we crave those deeper friendships in the first place. We'll even untangle ourselves just a little bit from the idea that we need to find our one person to be happy. Stick with us. You know, this is going to sound like a really obvious question, but what is it that we gain from these platonic, uh, intimate platonic relationships? Yeah, it's interesting that you started by that question by saying, I know this feels very obvious. I think that's because we know intuitively that friendship is important. Mm -hmm. We all know that, but mm -hmm. it's hard to kind of like articulate why we just know that it matters. Uh, the longest running study on happiness out of Harvard has found out the number one factor that impacts your overall life satisfaction and well-being is the quality of your relationships, not your uh, income, not your marital status, the quality of your relationships with other people. It's also found to be uh, the number one preventer of depression. And so I know in our brains, we know intellectually, okay, friendship's important, but it really has such an impact on how healthy we are, how well we mm. are, and how happy we feel about our lives. And so I think the disconnect for many of us might be that we so often push friendship to the margins of our lives, especially as busy adults. And Katie, um, how old are you, Katie? I'm 26. Okay. And so the research tells us that our uh, social networks grow and grow and grow until about the age of 26, at which point they begin to dwindle exponentially. And it mm. might not come as a surprise because at that time, you know, we're a couple of years out of college, some of us, right? Uh, our friends are now mm -hmm. uh, prioritizing different things. For some of your friends, their focus right now is establishing family ties. They want to get married. They want to have kids. For some, it's advancing in their career. We're spread out everywhere. And so it does become a little trickier. And so when you remove the social backdrop of school, where everyone's sharing the same, what we call life tasks, you know, we're going to mm. class. We're going, And so this might be the mm -hmm. first time that you've had to figure out, oh my gosh, I'm on my own. And I'm going to have to learn how to facilitate these connections without the support of schooling. 
in the background. Um, mm-hmm. And so like where you are right now, uh, many of us have been and you will be again. So here's our first insight. It is totally normal to want friends at any stage of life. Danielle's right. Life is always going to be throwing transitions our way. So it's not uncommon to wonder, where is my group? Where can I find that connection and support? Just know that we all face this feeling. And you're not alone in seeking companionship at any age. Katie, can you talk a little bit about what some of your fears are about like what are some of the things that you feel like you might be afraid of or worried about or struggle with with um the idea of just going out and joining communities um i'm generally like good in groups i do like a volleyball club and that's good but i think they're like familiar strangers or they're not friends i guess i'm just looking for the next step, like, mm-hmm. sure, mm-hmm. we're great at playing volleyball and mm-hmm. we're good at that or we are great at our job and we have fun at work. But I want like the next step where you gotcha. do gotcha. something else together. Gotcha. And then do you feel like there's a fear of just being like, hey, this seems cool. Do you want to get coffee at some point? Do you feel like you it's hard for you to like just invite people to that next level? Yeah, I mean, especially like. In a group, I mean, 30 people, who do you pick to invite? Like, that's kind of daunting. <laughs> you can't invite right. all of them. You do have to pick somebody. So, right, right. Yeah. How do you pick sense. which person? I don't know. So, I think there's like so much community and fun in a group. There's lots of cool and interesting dynamics. But if the goal is also to have these friendships where we feel seen and there's more depth and there's more connection, you might find that one way to supplement those group outings is to find those people who you think that you would click with, whatever your criteria is, and to find a way to connect with them outside of the group setting or in addition to, it doesn't have to replace it, but in addition to that, because I want you to also have relationships where you feel like you can be, you know, vulnerable and you guys are getting to know each other. And sometimes that does happen in a quieter space. It also feels to me too, like the question of like looking for a friend sometimes doesn't benefit from like the feeling of auditioning for the best friend. Mm -hmm. Like you, I choose you to be the best friend. Let's go. But actually that it can grow naturally from just having just first step being open to having just genuine interested conversations with the person and letting that be enough. Like for today, like I maybe just had an interesting conversation with this person at volleyball and it was great and that was it. And that's all we're doing today is we're just having the conversation. And then maybe next time we come back and we might have another conversation with them or we might find out that, no, not this time. We're going to talk to someone else. Yes, absolutely. And again, hey, this might be helpful advice to like, how can I just be present in this moment? How can I just be like, man, Mm -hmm. I, you know, we had crochet club today and like, that was a good way to spend my Thursday night. Like, man, so re-energizing. Mm-hmm. I loved it. You know, mm-hmm. now, of course, if you meet somebody at Crochet Club and you guys are like hitting it off and you find yourself leaving more curious about them, well then, hey, let's reach out and make it happen, right? Let's say they mentioned something about liking hiking, right? So at the end of the conversation, you're going to say, okay, well, it was so good talking to you. And hey, I know you mentioned that you like hiking. I actually know two spots that are amazing that I think you'd appreciate. What's your Instagram or what's your number? I'll send you a link. Okay. So I might not do it right now when I'm with them. I'm going to wait and I'm going to set future me up with an opportunity to keep momentum. So maybe the next day I send them the link. One, it shows reliability. 
because I follow through too. It shows my attentiveness Mm -hmm. and it helps me keep momentum. So the next day I might send that link and say, hey, so good meeting you. Here's that link that I promised. Okay. So it gives me momentum and it also gave me their contact information. So it gives me all the things I need to kind of keep things rolling because I know one fear people often have is like, after that first conversation, they're like, okay, well, that was fun, but is it awkward to reach out? Do I follow up? Was that weird? You know, so set it up like I have a reason to talk to you again. Okay. Then eventually mm-hmm. after you build some rapport, maybe on social or text or whatever feels good to you, then you're going to invite them out. You want to be very specific with your invitation, um, even though it feels very scary and like a chance for rejection. But that's what vulnerability is. Danielle calls this the movie trailer method. The idea is to give somebody a compelling look at coming attractions so they'll actually show up to see the movie. So instead of saying like, hey, we should get together sometime or like, hey, yeah, next weekend, if you're free, let me know. There's so much like vagueness and ambiguity. And then we're wondering who's supposed to do the mental labor of going first. It it never happens. Mm -hmm. And so you're going to be specific and you're going to preview the experience the way that movie trailers preview the experience for us. So they make it easy to say yes. So you might say, hey, um, I hope you like that hiking spot that I recommended. As a matter of fact, there is this... um, I don't know, this speaker coming to this venue down the street for me, and he talks about his journey with hiking. Um, It's next Saturday at seven. I was thinking we could go for like an hour or so and check it out. What do you think? Okay. I am telling you the duration, the time, the place, the day, and it makes it very easy for a person to say, yes, absolutely. Especially for introverts who need to know for how long to charge their social battery. So when I say like, hey, do you want to grab a a glass of wine for like, I don't know, like an hour or so and and chat? You know, people are like, oh my gosh, I can commit to that. Okay. Now, if they say no, or they're not available, that's fine. We're looking for people who will negotiate with us. So if they can't make it, I'm looking for the person who says, ah, darn it, I cannot do Saturday, but uh, what about next Tuesday? Okay. A willingness to work with me. If it's a person who's like, oh, can't make it. Sorry. Then I'm not going to internalize it. I'm not going to feel like I failed. I'm just going to say, oh, okay. I'll either try again next time or I'll leave it alone and take that as the data that I need to know that they're not into it. And I'll direct my attention somewhere else. Uh, What about the people who say, I can't make it this time, but let me know when the speaker is back in town again, and maybe I can go that time. Are they saying no, but in like a really polite way, or are they really interested and just can't make it? Okay, great question. Whenever people tell us things, we're trying to decipher what they really meant by that. So if somebody Mm -hmm. tells us, you know, oh gosh, I can't make it, but maybe next time, we'll think to ourselves, oh my gosh, that was her polite way of saying, never contact me again. (laughs) (laughs) And then then we allow that interpretation to dictate our behavior. We're like, oh, she's letting me down easily. I'll never do this again. But you know, something that um, is, it takes a lot of courage, but will solve a lot of problems is starting to take people at their word. And if somebody says, oh my gosh, I can't make it, but let me know next weekend. I'm going to trust that they want me to let them know next weekend. And and that and on the other end, that means that we need to speak directly and honestly, right? If we are not interested in saying, you know, no, I can't make it, but thanks for the invitation and shutting it down. So mm-hmm. we've got to speak honestly. And we also have to learn to take people at their word because it'll drive us nuts trying to figure out if a person was genuine in their invitation, do they really like us or is it like a pity invite? And so I think you'll actually yeah. find a lot of freedom in believing what people say. Wow. Yeah, that's good advice. 
So the elephant in the room for me listening to this is like fear of rejection. I think a lot of the reason why people are always trying to figure out what a person really means is because we don't want to be caught by surprise. We don't want to, we don't, we don't want to be blindsided. Uh, part of the reason that people are trying to like organize, like use all these words to say, to like uh, lead, leave all these outs is because we don't want someone to be like, ew, no, I don't want to go to a thing with you. Screw up. Like this is disgusting. Make me sick. It's just this like fear of rejection. So we're always trying to like navigate around it. And I guess I wonder, Danielle, and also really Katie, like how do you deal, how does the fear of rejection live for you? How do you experience it? And also what do you do about it? Yeah, Katie, let me ask you, because I hear some like hesitation and like uncertainty as you navigate all this. Do you have recent experiences that are top of mind where it didn't go well or you felt rejected that are kind of uh, that that are the reason for some of this hesitation you're experiencing? Um, yeah, mm. I have tried to invite a couple people to do things and it just hasn't gone well, so I don't know. Yeah. Oh, mm. God. I I feel for you so much and your bravery and being open right now. Um, and I hear the disappointment, like the pain in your voice. And there are people listening, I know 100%, who are in the same position. Um, there is something known as the recency bias. And the idea is that we tend to dictate what our future will be based on the most recent experience. And so if you recently had an experience where people let you down, I could see why it has you thinking, oh, this is how it's going to be. People let you down. I'm not going to do this again. And it takes courage to do it again. And so one thing I want you to try to work on, because I know it's easier said than done, is I want you to start telling yourself, I am a connector. That is who I am. That is what I do. If I like people, I pursue them. If I'm curious about somebody, I ask them questions. That's who I am, as opposed to it being a reaction. Well, it's something I'll do if people reach out to me first. No, this is who you are. You like people. You're a likable person. And so you reach out if you if you find somebody you like. If it doesn't go well, I want us to do the work of telling ourselves, um, oh, well, it's just not a, a, a good match. Or maybe it wasn't the right time for this person's life. Instead of internalizing it of like, what does this mean about me? Am I not likable? And so it really sucks when people let us down. But I do hope to God that you can muster up the courage to tell yourself that doesn't say anything about me, but I value connection. And I'm going to continue to pursue that because I do believe that my people are out there. And so I, again, I know that's easier said than done, but um, it's the kind of courage I want you to have because 26 is so young. It's so young. And there are so many people who are just waiting uh, to be connected with you. Thanks. Katie, if you're comfortable, can you tell us a little bit about one of those experiences so can, we can understand what happened for you and, and what it felt like? Sure. Um, I went to a group bonfire event. It was through church. Um, I ended up talking to two sisters. They were really nice, funny, and at the end of the night, um, we were talking about kayaking. I go kayaking a lot, so they mentioned that they would love to go kayaking and they'd never been before. We agreed to connect about it um, and I got their numbers and uh, 
every time I texted them, they seemed busy, but they said maybe next time. And so that went on for a couple times in July. And then I decided, you know, that was kind of the last time that I would text them because school was starting and I don't really have the time to go kayaking anymore. So that was that. Mm. Yeah, man, that is so such a bummer. I think you did the right thing by trying more than once because you never know. The first time really could be it's just a, a calendar thing. So I think it's bold and, and and necessary to do it twice to give the benefit of the doubt, right? We said take them at their word and to try again. And I think um, I also applaud you for knowing when to stop, for saying, hey, I've tried and I'm going to let this go. So I think there's like something to be said there. That's wonderful. Um are you able to go back to like what you were thinking in terms of the thoughts or assumptions or, or things you started making either I mean, about yourself? I started thinking that my judgment was off because I thought we had a good connection and that, you know, this was a good start. But obviously, you know, that didn't seem to be the case. So I was, you know, bummed about, you know, my judgment when it came to feeling like we had a connection. Danielle, have you ever had the that experience of, um, you know, reaching out to someone and having them respond in a way that made you feel rejected? Uh, yes. <laughs> yeah. It's so funny. People don't ask me that often. They take all my confidence in the interviews and they're like, oh, surely she's never been rejected. You know, I'll tell you what, Katie, I would like to think of myself as a social uh charismatic likable person mm -hmm. and i have had people who are just not feeling it <laughs> mm -hmm. and you know it's it is awkward it stings a little bit but i think the difference maker is the message you tell yourself and how you recover mm -hmm. instead of saying like oh gosh well maybe maybe i was saying all the wrong things and maybe i'm not as funny as i thought and maybe i'm not no 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 I tell myself, like, maybe I did fumble or maybe she uh, was not really fond of, you know, things that I shared. Um, man, that kind of stings. But OK, well, I'll cross her off the list and uh, and I'll I'll try again with somebody new. And, you know, I know this sounds like super like a little hippy dippy. OK, <laughs> but, you know, it also helps to remember it like if there are any parts of yourself that you're not comfortable with, there will always be this fear that it's going to be exposed when you mm. meet people or that it's going to be affirmed if a person rejects you, right? Like if I think I'm not interesting or I'm not cool, then if somebody doesn't want to hang out with me, my brain goes to like, see, I knew it. Mm. It's because I'm not interesting enough, you know? Mm. And so it, a lot of it just kind of like, I think stirs up you know, we're all dealing with our stuff with something personal. And so I think we've got to work that stuff out as we, you know, venture through our, our friend making journey, because, you know, we do bring a lot of our personal stuff to the table. It's a relationship like any other mm -hmm. relationships require us to look at our own stuff. And so having that self-confidence kind of will help on that journey as well. Yeah. I mean, I think it definitely is like a recent bias since, I mean, I did try to reach out to a couple people, you know, end of July and try and make some connections and it didn't work out. But I know that I'm resilient and, you know, I'll, I'll keep trying again. And, you know, I'm sure I'll make those connections. Here's our next insight. Rejection can be crushing and can fuel our deepest anxieties about social ineptitudes and how we're perceived. But as impossible as it may seem in the moment, we can recover. 
realize that you are not your insecurities. You can keep plugging away until you find that person who does want to go on the hike or go kayaking or get that cocktail. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, Danielle has some really valuable advice for finding friends at the office without the work drama. Don't go anywhere. We're back with Katie and our friendship coach extraordinaire, Danielle Byer-Jackson. You know, in your message, you said, I don't want to just have work friends. Talk to me about that. What is the concern you have with your friendship circle being made up of your coworkers? Mostly, you know, work drama coming into my life through those friendships. Um, I had a friend in college who also was friends with her coworkers. They all worked at a restaurant together. And then there was some drama going on because one of the girls was cheating on a guy who also worked at the restaurant and my friend was put in the middle of it. And I was like, that happens at restaurants and in college, but that can happen in schools too. I don't want to be part of drama at work (laughs) and Mm. have it come into my life. And so, I mean, I don't know. I'm a little careful about being like, have my work friend be my best friend in real life too. Okay, I think something that that's helpful that stuck out to me right away about what you're saying now and and your original email that you sent to the show is I, I wonder if it needs to become like a, a mindset address first at the risk of sounding life coachy. But <laughs> what I'm hearing is a little bit of panic and uncertainty around, you know, well, I have work friends, but but my friends from college, you know, like this was such a great group and I felt comfortable, but I don't want to just have work friends. And I think maybe if I can help maybe close that gap a little bit, that mental gap between, well, there's best friends and then there's like work friends. A lot of us, we romanticize like what we had when we were in school and we're like, we get a little discouraged. Like, oh, when will I ever find that again? And in your message, you said, I'm looking for quote, my person, like on Grey's Anatomy. I'm looking for my, you know, group like on the show Friends. And I think these are really great uh, illustrations to kind of offer a picture of what it is we want to, you know, pursue. But I also don't want you to become discouraged because you have these ideals in your head of the kinds of friendships you want um, and then are dissatisfied because we don't have them. So can you find your Christina Yang and, and your Meredith Gray? Sure. Can you one day complete your friends group like on the show? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. But what if I gave you like something that's a more manageable goal? And I think a natural byproduct of that might be to find your people. And what if when you have conversations with coworkers, when you have conversations with people, you know, outside of school, if instead of putting that pressure on it, like bringing that pressure to the table of like, okay, let's see if this can be my person. Let's see. What if you just prioritize connection instead of friendship? And I'm saying that as a friendship coach, but what if you allowed yourself to just be like curious about this person and ask some questions about themselves and give yourself permission to relax into seeing what this might be and to enjoying the present conversation and being able to walk away and say like, man, you know, that was a great conversation. I needed that tonight. It lifted my spirits. You know, like what if we just took it conversation and we prioritize connection because a natural byproduct of that will be forming friendships. 
Yeah, that makes sense. And I'm sure that would make, you know, work more enjoyable too, because I'll know my coworkers better, we'll be able to have more fun and just get along better. Yeah, yeah. And there's also something, you know, like if we're talking about your coworkers, there's also something known as multiplexity. And the richest friendships are those that have multiplexity. And what that means are people who fulfill multiple roles in our life. So it's great to have a coworker who becomes a friend because they fulfill lots of different roles. So you might want to start by being curious about the people you see all of the time. You know, there's research out of the University of Kansas. They attempted to kind of quantify how long it takes to make a friend. And they found that it takes about 90 hours. That's nine zero. Okay. Mm -hmm. 90 Mm -hmm. hours to make a friend, which feels like forever, but that's Mm -hmm. why you had such close friends in school. You saw them every day for like eight hours a day. Mm -hmm. And so the next best place in, you know, adulthood is going to be work. You are certainly not limited to that, but you're seeing these people all day long. You guys are talking, Mm -hmm. you're bonding over your, you know, um, being frustrated with your boss, you know? And so um, that's a good breeding ground for friendships. Um, But if you want to make friendships outside of work, that's certainly possible as well. It's just something to consider. Yeah. Well, I do want to bring up this thing that that Katie said, though, about being afraid of like getting involved that like, in other words, wanting to keep the work and social life separate because of the potential for like drama in the social life to spill over into the workplace. Like, you know, there are those those people. I mean, I'm probably one of them who's like, when you're at work, you're like, I don't want to get involved because... I don't want to be involved in whatever drama. I just want to do my job and go home. First of all, Katie, is that sort of how it feels to you? Like you, that that's really one of the things that you're worried about too, is that friendships could lead to inter-office drama that you, that would make your workplace suck? Yeah. I mean, I just want to be Switzerland. And if somebody (laughs) comes to me with a problem, I don't want to have any like feelings one way or the other because they're talking bad about my best friend i want to just give them real work advice and not (laughs) be swayed one way or the other i guess yeah yeah i hear you that's totally valid i'm a former high school teacher and so i know how quickly you can get into like you know we're just co-teachers and then it's like a happy hour after work and then before you know it's a little messy in the you know in the teacher's lounge next week and so it's always the happy hours that's always where it goes left (laughs) (laughs) it's dangerous man it's dangerous and so i i hear you and you definitely want to be careful about that so i appreciate the fact that you have people at work who feel friend-ish, you know, we'll, we'll settle for friend-ish because it does make your experience in the workplace better. Research fine. So we need friends there too. Okay. So here's our next insight. It takes a long time to make really, really good friends, which is why finding friends at work actually isn't the worst idea. But if that feels too risky, maybe look in other places where you naturally spend a lot of time. Yeah, I haven't thought about it before. I've always thought that my hobbies and my interests were more individualized and things that I did on my own. I used to sell things at the farmer's market, which was quite fun um, during the summer. I am not sure about, like, crafting communities or things like that. I would have to do some Googling. Yeah. Well, let's just start with the farmer's market thing, which I love for so many reasons. One, you told us you're an introvert. And when you're standing behind a, you know, a little booth at the farmer's market 
Are you talking about like selling things at the farmer's market, right? Yeah, it was a little rough, but I did get through it and sell, you know, some stuffies and things like that. Yeah. And so, you know, you've got a lot of foot traffic, uh, which allows you to meet a lot of different people. You've got things you're looking at or people are selling and in goods in the marketplace. So that's something you can point to. It's an easy conversation starter. You know, if you're working a booth, you've got the two people on all sides of you who are stationary. And so you guys become conversation buddies throughout the day. So I love that for you because it's less pressure to like initiate a conversation on your own. I also like that idea because it's a repeated activity. And if we're trying to make the research work for us, and it says that time is a key ingredient in making friends, that repeated exposure, you're going to start to see the same faces. So I love that idea for you because it seems like it's, you know, not too demanding of your time, allows you to meet a lot of people and allows you to see some of the same faces repeatedly, which are all key ingredients of friend making. Mm-hmm. Um, Danielle, do you have any like... Uh... This is maybe a weird question, like starter questions for me just to like remember and pull out of my back pocket to try and like ask people. Yeah. So, so let me say this. Sure. You know, there are a couple of questions about, um, I know people tend to say, um, so what do you do for a living or how was your day? Things like that. But you can ask people like, you know, so um, you can ask them about their passions instead of what they do for work. Um, because that's something I'm trying to get away from too, is is doing the very American thing of asking people what they do for a living. And so, you know, asking them how they spend their days, that's a little different. Or you can comment on something that you see visually. But I'm going to say this though, to challenge you a little bit. I know that it's comforting to have some questions in your back pocket. It feels nice to have that back there and it's helpful. But the research shows that you're more likely to enjoy your conversation when you are curious about the other person and curious about what you're going to learn instead of when you come prepared with what you're going to say. So I I can give you some questions, sure, but I want you to get more comfortable with showing up and telling yourself like, all right, let's, let's see what's about to happen here. And the last thing I'll tell you too, is as an introvert, I want you to have the courage to insert yourself, to contribute, to showcase your personality as well. Um, Because I know you mentioned groups a lot, which I think is really interesting and extroverts kind of taking the lead, but you want people to also walk away feeling like they got to know you too. And not just that they entertained you as extroverts. So I don't know if that's ever the case, but I'm hearing some of that in our conversation. I want you to get more confident in showing who you are um, because there are people who are just going to like love you for being you, but getting comfortable showcasing all of you from the very beginning. Katie, do you feel like you are at all better equipped to approach some new people and try to connect? Yeah, um, I think it's just like Danielle said, I definitely had, you know, that dream idea, the concept of Christina Yang that I was putting a lot of pressure on it. So I'll definitely try and just go with the flow and see what happens. No prepared questions. Yeah, no, keep that intentionality for sure. I I love that about you. But yeah, just uh, just keep your heart open to all of the possibilities instead of restricting yourself to just finding your, your besties. Keep your heart and eyes open to all the possibilities. And I think you'll be surprised by the connections you form along the way. 
Well, one thing I know is that I really enjoyed talking to you, Katie. I feel like I would be friends with you if, I, if we met. And you just seem like such a cool and interesting person. So I know that you're going to find people, um, and I know that it's like it's out there for you if much worse people than you have found friends. So I believe you could do it. <laughs> Danielle, thank you so much for your advice. It's been so great uh, learning about all the research and all of the and just benefiting from all the thought you put into this work and. Um, I'm so happy that you were able to spend this time with us. Oh my gosh, thank you for having me and allowing me to lend my voice to this conversation. Katie, I'll be thinking of you and I. we we all are excited to, to hear your updates uh, on the connections that you form. So I applaud you for your bravery and, um, and wish so much luck to you. Yes. Thanks. It's so vulnerable. It can feel so cringy to try and make new friends. And I can see why sometimes we would rather just be alone and feel sad than to face the potential of rejection. But life can be so hard, you know? And we need so much support that we have to do the work of finding people who can care for us and love us and help us through breakups and go to Target with us and listen to us gripe about our jobs. So. If you are feeling like you could use a friend, or if you feel like you could be a friend, then I hope you take some of this advice. It may seem daunting, but the rewards can be very, very great. Huge thanks to Katie for sharing her friendship journey with us and to Danielle Byer Jackson for such meaningful advice. We'll link to her website in the show notes. Do you have a problem that needs solving? Send us a note at howtoatslate.com or leave us a voicemail at 646-495-4001 and we might have you on the show. And if you like what you heard today, please tell a friend. That helps us help more people. How To's executive producers, Derek John, Rosemary Belson, Kevin Bendis, and Jabari Butler produced this episode. Merritt Jacob, senior technical director. Charles Duhigg created the show. And I'm Carvel Wallace. Thanks for listening.